You're listening to TFM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Hello and welcome to TFM's local watering here on Most Espa. I gotta say, the sanctuary has been rebuilt and it's looking fantastic. And uh, I am just one of your hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and with me, as she is every single week, the the one and only, I guess now Twi'lect. Yes, Christy Morris. Yeah, that's uh, Madame Garza. Oh, welcome back. Welcome back. I mean, Thank we all you. assumed that you had perished in that. that uh, but I mean, I guess nobody perishes in this show because everybody can just be brought back with a mod. So mm-hmm. that's great. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. Uh, I escaped out a back door that you didn't know was there and fled to safety. I'm I'm really glad that's the case. I was I was actually very worried. Um, my favorite Twi'lek since Ayla Secura. How could they kill her? And apparently not dead. So that's great. And with us because of course we're going to be talking about the Book of Boa Fett, the one, the only Jedi Master John Mills. I'm just thinking. You said uh, Twi'lek, and it's like I view that as like as like a an MTV show like Cribs or something like that, right? Where you, you, just, you uh, Twi'lek punked. somebody. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And somebody's a Twi'lek at the end of it. Yeah, I like this. Oh this my potential. goodness. Potential. Well, uh, we are excited because Boba's back in town. Boba's back in town. Boba's back in town. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah, come yeah. on, guys. It's exciting. <laughs> uh, anyway, we're going to be talking about, like I said, the Book of Boa Fett. Before we dive in, huge thank you for everyone who's listening. I hope you'll enjoy the episode. But uh, maybe uh, you didn't know you could find us wherever you get your podcasts, uh, which, I mean, if you're listening, you've found us somewhere where podcasts are. But make sure you're subscribed so you'll get the shows as soon as they drop. You can also find us uh, in in those places where, you know, you get podcasts. You can sometimes leave a review or start rating like on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and we would really appreciate if you would do that. In fact, uh, if you give us a written review over there on Apple, we'll uh, read your review out on the show. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at The 602 Club. We're on Instagram at The 602 Club TFM. You can find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. There's also a listeners-only discussion group. You can talk to listeners from all over the world, uh, uh, and, and that is called the Babel Conference. Um, and, of course, you can also find us online at trek.fm, and we'd like to thank our associate producers here through Patreon, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millette, and Daniel Noah. Uh, it's been uh, many years since they've been supporting the network and this show, and we really want to thank them. Um, now, if you like things uh, here on Trek FM, all the shows that we're doing, and maybe you'd like to see more shows happen, uh, or you just like to see the shows that we have continue, well, to make that happen, you want to go to patreon.com slash trekfm and be part of our team so that we can continue to bring these shows to you. Now, both of you are Star Wars experts, and... One of the things I, I wanted to dive into this because I've had many conversations with people uh, about this show um, as uh, it has been going on and now it's finished and we're going to talk about the whole thing. But one of the most interesting conversations that I have had with people has been about the structure of the show. And obviously we do it episodically 
with Disney Plus. So we get one episode at a time. And that seemed to work for The Mandalorian uh, very well. People didn't really complain about it, um, except for the fact that you just wanted the next episode out. Um, but I, I, I felt like maybe The Book of Bullfit, that didn't quite work as well for people. And so I wanted to ask you both what you thought about the structure of the show uh, the fact that obviously we use flashbacks should have been more linear. Should we have released episodes in a different like order and in, in the sense of like maybe releasing two at a time or something? Or did you just did it just work for you? No, I, I definitely think that there was a a rhythmic problem with the show. Um, I think that if they had released them two episodes at a time or something like that or just made the episodes longer, it would have worked better. Uh, I remember everybody, everybody's reaction that I remember when the first episode dropped was, yeah, that was good, but it just felt like it was just starting to get going when it ended. And uh, so, there, you know, there was no big hook at the end. There was no Baby Yoda moment. And so it was like, oh, well, okay. I mean, this started now. And I think it would have been a lot better. You would have just, if you had just gone for broke and had like an hour and a half, hour and 40 minute Episode like, like they did with the uh, Sherlock Holmes series where they had like the little mini movies, you know, and just have three of those. I think that would have been, you know, that that nice little punch and would have would have addressed a lot of the uh, I it just it, there was just a it never really established a flow uh, through the season. And I think it starts just right from the beginning. I agree with you on that. I also want to add, though, that I thought that the flashbacks and then flash forward to quote unquote present was a little too much. I think that they should have maybe kept the first episode as all the flashbacks together um, and then really stuck to the present after that. Um and then throwing in as well the episode where the Mandalorian returns, I've seen so many people say that it suddenly felt like, wait a minute, whose show is this? Is it Mando's show or is this, or is this Book of Boba Fett? You know, And so I think that they needed either somehow to tie in Boba Fett into that episode or maybe put that one at the end. Um but yeah, I agree there were some flow issues. And for me personally, I think those changes may have helped as well. You know, uh, John and I have argued behind the scenes um, quite a bit about this. Um, uh, and I, I was arguing, as especially with the first few episodes, that I just felt like that things should be linear. Kind of like what you said, Christy, where you would tell the story without the flashbacks. Mm-hmm. And... You know, in in some ways, I think things were ameliorated with, uh, which, John, I love that you introduced me to that word. Um, it's so <laughs> perfect for so many things. Um, but I I think it really did. Like, as the, as the series went on, things smoothed out because things started to make more sense. Um, but, so we got to the end of the series and our good friend Yancey Evans um, came back to, to John and I and said, hey, guys, I'm, I'm watching the show and I just binged the first four episodes. And he's like, I think I figured out the problem. So I'm giving him complete credit for this. But he felt like that the first two episodes play well as an entire thematic element. The second two episodes play very well as a good thematic element. The next two episodes with Mando play very well as a thematic element, and then you have the finale. 
And so that if they had released this more in the sense of like mini movies um, and then had the big finale that I it would have worked better. So I went and tried this and I was surprised how much better that the first two episodes specifically they everything worked so much better even with it being in the you know with having the flashbacks and everything Mm -hmm. um because that is so focused on the tuscans and his you know relationship with them it makes all of those thematic elements really come out much more second two episodes same thing then the mando ones same thing and then to end with the finale and so uh, one of the things that I think every every streaming show I've talked about, it seems like may, a lot of times there is always something where it's either too long or too short or, you know, it's usually just it's too long. Um, but it almost feels like they're still afraid to really, like, just use the medium as you should, which is to just do whatever you want and what best fits the story. And, you know, this show was unlike Mando in the sense that they very much mimicked the Clone Wars series in the sense that each episode stood on its own, but then put together, it created an arc. Whereas this show was specifically like, yeah, I mean, honestly, those first two episodes really do go together. Mm-hmm. Um, and on all honesty, the whole show, this whole season really goes together. So I feel like it if they had at least done that, it would have really made a difference um, in people's enjoyment in the show as well as their kind of just overall reaction to feeling like there's a full thematic thread being presented within those first two episodes, second two episodes, you know, and so on. Well, what's interesting uh, is what it, what it comes to remind me of, what it came to remind me of, and it, it it's just odd timing. I, I'm reading – Quentin Tarantino's uh, book version of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And that's what this show winds up reminding me of is taken as its pieces. It's like, okay, this is over here. This is over here. This is over here. But then it all comes together at the end. And I, I'm just saying that in support of you know the, the points that you were both just making where it's like, it just, I think that the Disney plus desire to have weekly content drop is probably what killed them here because mm-hmm. they they forced the the edits. They did. They forced the cuts because Disney obviously has a release schedule. This gets us to Moon Knight. Moon Knight gets us to Kenobi. Kenobi gets us to the next show and they can't afford to do a more Netflix approach which is here's your content, just have at it. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's a good point. And, you know, I think, too, if I did possibly try it the way you mentioned, Matt, where watching two at a time, maybe it'll be better for me as well that way. Um, I hope so. I, yeah. And, and, and in all honesty, again, this is totally Yancey's idea. And I, to me, it just worked because there are some clear thematic elements in the show that I felt like really work out much better because – those episodes together create that holistically instead of like spending an entire week where you know you're kind of thinking about things or whatever and you you spend your week and then you come back to the show and you're not necessarily fresh with what what everything was trying to tell you you know unless you just rewatched it and then you watch the next one and so yeah i think this was definitely something where 
not only did I feel like maybe the structure of it, but in in all honesty, I do think that, you know, one of the things that we praised The Mandalorian for was that every director, I think, for both seasons really did something pretty cool. You know, they really brought some things to each episode and it it made some of those directors some of my favorite Star Wars directors, you know, since George Lucas in the sense of what they were doing with their episodes. I wanted to ask you both then here, Robert Rodriguez doing three episodes, Steph Green doing one, Bryce Dallas Howard doing one, Kevin Tractoron, and I think that's how you say his last name, doing one, and then, of course, Dave Filoni doing one. And so with those three directors, how did they work for you here? You know, did you feel like some of them stood above others here? Did you feel like they were all pretty much the same, like the Mandalorian episodes where it's like they created a nice uh, flow, but you could also kind of tell some of the, the differences? What did you guys think? Uh, well, I mean, I could sing Bryce Dallas Howard's praises, you know, to the moon and back. I think she's an incredibly disciplined and uh, gifted visual storyteller. Uh, you can, I can look at one of her episodes and even if there's nothing there where I'm like, where I look at it and it's like, I can look at a Christopher Nolan, I can look at a picture from a Christopher Nolan movie and be like, ah, oh, Christopher Nolan directed that. Might not be able to get there yet with, uh, with Howard, but I can definitely tell that there's somebody who has a really disciplined hand at storytelling. She knows how to keep you engaged from beginning to finish and exactly what rate to deliver the information and frame the shots. I, I think she's an incredible, incredible director uh, from what we've seen so far. I think that Filoni pushes the envelope with something special. Uh, I, like, and I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about what happened in that episode and everything. Rodriguez, I struggled with as a director for this because Rodriguez has a very distinctive visual style. And I don't think it lent itself to the strengths and weaknesses of the volume. The I would not be the first person to offer criticism of that speeder chase uh, through the town square. It was not particularly well put together. It was not shot in such a way that conveyed actual motion. It looked all like it looked like tricks I used to use with my friends when we were shooting stuff to make cars move when we were in the backyard. Like it literally looked like running by with a video camera. And, you know, I'm not saying that to take anything away from the very talented people, but they bit off a lot and it just seems like it was more than they could chew. Uh, with that specific sequence. But I think that Rodriguez is, he's very good at action. I think that he is typically got a good eye for, for certain types of shots. I've enjoyed his movies, but I think he's the reason why I really want to give this, you know, watch two episodes at a time thing, a chance because his episodes were the ones where I just, didn't feel like they were visually successful. And I don't know if that's because of the manner, like he's in a new environment. This is something he's not necessarily comfortable with, in which case, you know, kudos to him for stretching out and trying something, you know, really unique and, and growing. But I don't think it was terribly successful. I think that you can see a marked difference between episode one and episode two and episode three and episode four. 
like you just look at those and it's like, wow, they just look and feel and are paced completely differently. Yeah, I, I would say my least favorite episode was um, actually Kevin Tancherowen's episode number four, um, because it felt the least like what we would have seen in Tatooine on a regular basis. Um, I'm speaking specifically about the surgery of Fennec Shand. Um, that whole scene, just to me, it felt like the the direction, the music, the style of things in that room being so clean and bright and shiny was not Tatooine. Um, and so I really... It, it just kind of took me out of things and I feel like it was kind of seemed even tone deaf to everything else we've already seen from all the other Star Wars films of what this world is supposed to be like. Um, I will say in contrast, though, my favorite was Bryce Dallas Howard's episode. And it's funny because I've seen that same thought process of like the comparisons between directors from other fans of you can tell immediately it has a familiar feel to the episode she did for Mandalorian. And yeah. you think to yourself, Oh, I really like how this one's going. I wonder who directed that. Oh, of course. <laughs> right. Why do I like it? It's Bryce Dallas Howard, <laughs> you know, or like, like Matt, we've talked yeah. about before. Why do I like it? It's Dave Filoni's work. <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah. Um, that's really interesting because I actually loved episode four of this show. Um, I think, I think, like John, it's Robert Rodriguez's work here that I struggle with the most. Mm -hmm. And I would say, I the worst offender for me is even above, well, it's the finale. Um, in the name of in the name of honor and the um, streets of Mos Espa that are kind of tied, and part of it is because, and John, you think you rightly called this out, is that his action does not feel as well planned out as the other directors have from The Mandalorian to this show. Even I mean, when I think of like what Steph Green does with the tribes of Tatooine, with that. Everything they do, even though they're pushing the boundaries of what you can even do in the, the volume with the train chase, right? The action always felt really well choreographed and planned out. And it almost just feels like a lot of the action that we're getting in the Rodriguez episodes, especially with episode three and then with episode seven, it it feels all very haphazard. And it's almost like he's just like, oh, you run here and you run here and we'll just kind of put things in and post or whatever. It it just never felt as directed as it needed to. And and I don't like you said, John, I think it might have come down to like, you know, at least Filoni and Bryce Dallas Howard, I think, have an incredible understanding of what the volume can and can't do and how to do it really well. So you can't tell that there's any like trick being played on you whereas in a lot of what rodriguez was doing it's like i i almost felt like i could feel the volume mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. which is what you don't want and so yeah i just he didn't work as well for me and i would be thankful if he's not involved as much with star wars direction moving forward um mm -hmm. so 
Bryce Dallas Howard can direct whatever she wants in Star Wars uh, for the win. I mean, and Dave Filoni is Dave Filoni, and enough said. So yeah, um, you know, I I found it interesting. It was it was actually odd to me that Favreau didn't direct anything this time. This is this is something where I thought Favreau would have had some sort of vested interest and would have wanted to do an episode, and so I don't I don't understand why he didn't. It it, it just seemed like an odd thing. I'm sure. You know, hey, let me, let me call him up. Hey, John, you know, come on, let's let's talk, you and me. Mm-hmm. No, but like, you know, I, you know, he's obviously he's a really busy guy. He's all of this stuff, but it just seems like something he would have gone an extra length to do because this would have been a pet project of his to be involved with. Since he, you know, I mean, wrote it right, and it's, so it's like, uh, it just seems it seems odd that he his absence was felt. Let's put it that way. Thank you. I'm glad you mentioned that because I was also very shocked to not see him on the list. He just seemed like the perfect person to direct one of these episodes because I know Boba Fett is a passion for him, right? Like Mm -hmm. one of the reasons for doing the character of the Mandalorian is he was inspired by his love of Boba Fett and his idea of like, let's do a show where we're basically just pulling out our action figures and playing together. Like that's, and which is, I also think one of the reasons why the Mandalorian was so successful, right? And where when the book of Boba Fett is its most successful, that's what the show kind of feels like. Um, and I, I think, you know, we'll get to it later, but I think it's also one of the reasons why I wasn't so upset with them bringing in like Mando and all that stuff, because that's what you do when you're, telling those type of stories is you just oh we'll bring this character in you know it's literally what it feels like so um yeah i it's that's a that's a good point so um okay definitely think we could probably continue talking about that but (laughs) we have so much else to cover and i feel like maybe we should just get to our main character of the show since it's called the book of boa fett and We've got a bunch about this character that happens in this series. Um, and first, it starts with his return, and apparently Parks and Rec was right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's it's odd because that with the way that the show went, I expected, especially since it was leading into flashback, more about the missing time of Boba Fett's life. The stuff that even we as fans didn't get to see between Clone Wars and the movies, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, which Cad Bane in the in the series later makes reference to. He's a stone cold killer. He he's killed people for the Empire. Like he's not this great saint. And so it's it just seemed odd. And there there were these these bits where, you know, they showed a flashback of him watching Django fly off to Camino, And it's like, oh, I thought that was going to be an element we were going to play with a little bit more, but didn't. Um, so Fett was tough to get a handle on, honestly. Uh, I like what they did with him. I like where they went with his time with the Tuscans and everything. But... I do actually kind of agree with Tamir Morrison that he would have been even more interesting with less dialogue. Like if, if he had had more of a chance just to be that stoic, non-communicative type of person. And then, you know, Fennec Shand did all of the talk, you know, like somebody would come up and they were both, they would both be sitting there and Fett could just like look at her and she'd be like, yeah, Lord Fett feels this way about it, you know, that so that she's mm-hmm. the mouth of of the organization uh, sort of thing. 
So I, you know, I, I look forward to going back and rewatching the show again. I, I liked stuff that they did with Fett, but I was having a I was having a hard time getting my hooks into him uh, with the way that the show was being presented. I felt the same way. I think that we all initially were very used to him being that stoic character of he's rarely ever had anything to do, you know, other than standing there and looking cool. Um, and so it was disorienting at first having him talking so much um, and even seeing his face, you know, I mean, he like Mando always had the helmet on. So I thought that that was interesting that they did those things with him this time, but I think it was needed in a way because how else are you going to get to know him on a deeper level? Um, and so, I mean, I, on the one hand, yes, sometimes I did feel like it was a lot of dialogue and maybe could have been drawn back a little to give him more mystery still, but I did like, the turn basically that they had for him of he's realized that he couldn't subsist on his own forever and built these partnerships where he's not necessarily become a good guy, but he's not all bad anymore either. And he's just realized that there's more that he wants to live for. And I, I liked that turn for him. One of the things that I'm really glad that I did the rewatch was I do feel like especially watching it in the way that I did, you know, his motivations really become a lot clearer. Um, uh, the connection, like John, you were talking about of seeing him on, on Camino as the, as the kid, you know, whose father is leaving and he, he's alone, right? He's literally alone. And then kind of thinking back to where they had him in the clone wars, where he's trying to kind of find his, his place, you know, he spends time with Aura Singh and her group, uh, and then he spends time with creating kind of his own gang, and he seems to always be trying to kind of find a family, right? Like, because he needs something. He's he, and, and yet at the same time, he is living in this life which is very self-centered, right? Everybody's out for themselves, no matter how much of a team you're a part of. And so I thought it was kind of beautiful how... You know, he talks about how the the Tuscans, you you can only get fo so far without a tribe. And he he learns that you know mm -hmm. that um, you can't live life completely alone and and for your own just for your own benefit forever. Otherwise, you probably end up dead. And and um, really enjoying the fact that I mean, even that lizard dream, you know, um, they. When he breaks the branch, it's it's almost like him choosing to like break the cycle of of loneliness and this desire. Then, which he says to to Fennec, which is, I I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna be a Don basically. I'm gonna start a family. I'm gonna start a crime family. And like she's like, what do you know about starting a family? He's like, well, it's better than being alone, you know, basically. Mm -hmm. And and so. I think a lot of that really worked. Um, and then there was this beauty, too, of his time with the Tuscans, really teaching him the willingness to be taught as well as the willingness to learn. Um, and so that the he's teaching them, they're teaching him, and it's this beautiful kind of reciprocal nature of what it kind of means to be in a family and kind of learn from one another and grow. And, you know, he teaches them a bunch of things. And unfortunately... Because of everything that happens, obviously, it leads to them being murdered. But 
they were in a much better place, honestly, because of what he was doing. And he was in a much better place because of what they were doing. And so I think all of that was really diff- uh, interesting. And, you know, I, I think the one thing that might have, if I could have, you know, had anything to do with this, I would say a little bit more tweaking would have helped is just to give maybe one more beat as to becoming the godfather of a different color, right? Like, you know, he he's seen all of these crime lords use people consistently, like he says to Fennec too, like, you know, I'm tired of people like us being sent to do jobs that really don't need to be done mm-hmm. because they're not thinking. And so just giving slightly more to that, I think I'd be great. Even in the in the rewatch I did, I, I still felt like there could be just a little bit more of that, um, especially around his like rejection of spice. Because mm-hmm. obviously spice leads to the death of the Tuscans, but it's like I, I feel like you just needed to drive that point home a little bit further because otherwise, unless you've seen The Godfather Part Two, you don't necessarily understand really his motivation, which is to say, no, we're basically we're not doing cocaine. We're we're not doing that. We're not doing cocaine and we're not doing women, you know, and we're not doing children. Like that's not what we do in this family. Um and that makes sense if you've like watched The Godfather, um, but I don't know if it makes as much sense as it could without a really, really careful watching of this show for him to like reject outright but the see, idea of dealing in spice. But see, that even gets to the structure, the stuff we keep going back and forth about the structure. And I'm not, I'm not trying to like belabor it or anything like that, but even the the number of episodes, one more episode, they yeah. could have teased all of this out. So the, even the number of That's episodes they chose doesn't make sense because all of these things you're talking about are absolutely true. There there were a couple of different passes as well, like tying Cad Bane a little bit more into the tragedy with the Tuscans, tying the Tuscans mm-hmm. themselves more into things. The, the where I thought this was going, uh, at, by the end of it was that he wasn't just going to show up riding the Rancor, but he was going to have Tuscans with him. And that was going to be the declaration at the end of the show was there's a new family in town and it's my family and it's the family that lived here before you got here. And so you're going to cut them in on the profits because you owe them. Mm-hmm. That would have been a really interesting little coda for for the show that Fett winds up becoming the catalyst where it's like, fine, we can't get rid of the crime families. You're at least going to make sure that the people that you've been screwing over get you know, get a cut of, of your, your business sort of thing, which isn't noble by any stretch, but it's interesting and it takes things in a different direction. And so I think, I think that actually winds up speaking again to the structure is because I think the reason the cadence of everything is odd is because there are those moments that should have been able to breathe more. And so there are certain moments that feel rushed because you get there and you say, okay, well, I guess we were eventually going to get there, but it just, we got there too quick and it just happened and it wasn't given like I, I, I never felt any connection to, um, uh, you know, the, <laughs> I call them the mighty Morphin Vespa Rangers, but like, <laughs> you know, his yeah. little quasi biker gang, I never felt any connection to the characters. They were just there and yeah. I was like, oh, okay, I guess they're going to be there in the ending. Sure. That's fine. Yep. But like, I would have appreciated time to connect with them to feel like they were a part of the 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 larger tapestry so 
I, you know, I, I'm not trying to harp again on it. I, I'm just saying, like, all the stuff you're talking about, like, it, there was just so much stuff that deserved to breathe, and one more episode solves it. Gives you just 45 more minutes to do it. I, I don't know. And you have a point. I mean, they definitely needed to have him have some sort of stronger ties to the people that he's supposed to be partnering with in this crime family, that it feels a little too loosely gathered together of all these different groups rather than a tight knit group that's going to go out and conquer things together. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, John, because I do think that this whole idea of him kind of creating a new family, you know, because the Tuscans do end up just dead, at least the group that he was with is is that the original Tuscan leader tells him there are many different tribes of Tuscans and they they do things differently. And, And this tribe had its own way of doing things. And but he ends up creating this new family with the mods, with Chrysanthemum and with the Gamorians and, of course, with uh, Fennec Shand. And, you know, the only one I feel like that, like you said, we don't get he basically just hires people who are out, out of their luck, basically. Right. And the only one who kind of like sticks with him and we kind of get a sense of like maybe why she's actually do that is Fennec Shand. Um, you know, they have this, this adventure together and I think she sees in him maybe something that would be interesting and staying around with and, and mainly too, because I think he makes her rethink the idea of like that loyalty means more than just credits. And, but even that I think is one of the things that would have been nice to have spent even a little bit more time with. Well, I think there are even things, even if you don't want to give it more than the number of episodes it has now. There are even things you could have removed and had just sit as potential second season threats, something like sort of like hanging over where you have a question through the whole thing and people even maybe maybe make reference to it where it's like, why are the huts even letting this happen? And don't have huts show up. And everybody's like, yeah, I don't know. Like they don't care. I don't know what's going on. And so you could have this whole thing play out. And hanging over it like a cloud the whole time is the huts just haven't gotten involved yet. And then maybe the end of the episode is like, hey, congratulations. It's our territory, though. And then all of a sudden, you've got this big hook at the end of the season where all three of us are sitting there going, oh, yeah, there's going to be a second season and the huts are mad now. Mm-hmm. Right. Instead, the huts are like this leverage to and I, I will never get the name right. Kersantin, Kersantin, Kersanthemum, Kersantin, yeah, Kersanthemum, yeah, whatever. That's yeah. fine. That's fine. Um, but they introduce Kersantin, and it's very staccato. And there's even a moment where Kersantin uh, breaks in and like drags him out of the back to tank and beats the snot out of him. The whole time I'm sitting there, I'm like, where is everybody? How did did the Wookiee get in here? Nobody noticed, Mm -hmm. right? Are there no security measures here? But is just having his way, just like toss him around like a rag doll and then gets captured. And it's like, and that's it. And now we'll work together later. And it's like, wait, what? Like, there's not even like the the de rigueur. um, I beat the snot out of you instead. I humiliated you in battle and now you're going to respect me sort of angle that goes with it. Right. Mm-hmm. That, that Like that's the story beat that you really expect in this sort of thing. And um, so it's just like Chrysanthemum literally could have just been introduced sitting in the bar 
and sitting there and causing trouble and then Fett walking in and being like, you know, if you're looking for something to do, we've worked together before. And it's like, that's all you needed. And like you freed up all of this story time earlier that doesn't seem so wheel spinning, I guess mm-hmm. you could say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, uh, you know, you did mention something and, and the idea and we talked about this at aggressive negotiations, John, about the idea of the mods and you know, not a bad idea, obviously, that there would be people in the Star Wars galaxy who would want to do this, you know, and and. You know, we, we've seen evidence of that with, you know, uh, people like uh, General Grievous and stuff like that. They have legitimately chosen to mod their bodies because they think it's going to make them better, stronger, faster, all these things, right? I, I just think, you know, uh, and I, I didn't even have a problem with them having brightly covered speeders. Oh, I did. You know, which again, <laughs> like, it, because it's, 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 uh, it's very George thing to do. I mean, I, I think back to episode two with the, the speeder that Anakin picks to go save Obi-Wan, you know, mm. um, and it's brightly colored, it's bright yellow, you know, but it looks cool. Right. And, and it fits Star Wars. I, I think the thing about these, these bike designs is that, you know, you have a, a great lineage of different types of speeders to use. These literally just look like somebody created a Vespa gang from like 1980s Italy. And it, it didn't really fit the Tatooine vibe. And I think that's, Carissa, you kind of called that out of what you didn't like about episode four there. But I think here it's just one of those things where somebody needed to step in and say, okay, this just doesn't fit that vibe. Now, there's definitely plenty of really cool speeders that we could create for them, but this just doesn't work. And and then on top of that, I mean, the effect never works when they're used because they're in episodes that, you know, Rodriguez has directed and they never feel like they have the right movement for Star Wars speeders. Mm-hmm. I See, I, I think you can find a middle ground that alleviates what, what some of the complaints are. I, I don't have a problem. Like, it looks like Art Deco, you know, hot rodding type of stuff. I got no problem with that. But I would definitely fall into the camp of they should have dirtied them up a little bit. Like, there's a missing plate here. Or there's a mismatched piece there. So that it looked like kids who were in a backwater trying to keep like they were obviously putting all of their money into this and they were obviously spending all of their time modding everything. Mm-hmm. But it it looked, you know, to, to your point, Chrissy, it looked too clean for Tatooine. Tatooine in specific is supposed to look a little bit rougher around the edges. You know, I mean, Jabba is a crime lord and his palace looks, you know, doesn't look fantastic. You know, it's right. it's murky, it's dusty, it's, you know, sand gets everywhere. It's kind of dark. So it's, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, I I, I thought that the, the, the speeders worked as a design. I just thought they needed to be dirtied up a little bit, just banged up a little more. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, the more I thought about it, and we've talked through these pieces, um, I think really about the fourth episode, it was just that one scene that I didn't like. I forgot that the majority of this stuff was in episode three. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I think you're exactly right. Because when you think about too, John, with what you were saying about the kids that are modifying their bodies and everything, the act of the modification is nothing new. 
they've been doing that in Star Wars. But here it's that they're supposed to be poor as well. They shouldn't have the money or the materials to be able to have speeders that look this nice and clean either, as well as living on a planet where everything else is dirty and used and a little beaten up. So that didn't make sense to me either, because they they don't have work. How would they have money to be able to make it look nice? Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I, I think that. The other issue is some of the mods that were made, even um, my husband referred to it as go-go gadget legs. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. It also didn't feel Star Wars. I mean, but they twirl really good when they shoot. So see, this isn't Inspector uh, Gadget, though. (laughs) I I know I, I tend to be a little more forgiving, I guess, with it because it's just it's so different and it's so. You know they're they're pushing, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I I can't argue against it. Basically, I can't argue against what you're saying. Yeah. Where some of the mods, it was just like it was a little much. It was yeah. a little much. You know, if the mods had been, if the mods had looked like it was, you know, Don's Discount Mod Emporium is where they got them from, instead of stuff that rivaled General Grievous or Darth Vader or something like right. that. It's like, yeah, hey, you know. It should look like kids who are can't quite get the cool parts, but they're they're acting like they're the coolest parts, sort of thing. Yeah, um, I think I think it's also a, a downside is I never felt any sort of menace from them at all. Yeah, I we have the shop owner who's complaining about them, and then when Fett walks up to them, they start you know, mouthing off to them, but I look at them and maybe it's because I'm a grumpy old man, you know, but if I were in Boba Fett's position, I wouldn't be like, you've got a lot of spark. I'd be like, I'm gunning all of you down and then we're finished with this because there's nothing about them that made me think, oh, these are formidable opponents. It -hmm. made me think, oh, this is the JV squad. And like, I thought it was going to be sort of comical that Fett was going to hire them and everything would just go wrong. Because they just couldn't do anything right. So, yeah. you know. But I guess I, that's more of a comic route yeah, than, than this type of show. I don't know. And I want to add that I wonder if part of that for you was the same issue it was for me. The costuming kind of reinforces that non-threatening look as well. There was one guy, if you look, that's one of like the four of them total that are always together that looks like a Doctor Who. <laughs> He's yes. wearing yeah. like a you're trench right. coat and a tie. Yes, mm-hmm. you're correct. Yeah. I don't get you it. Are, you are correct. Yeah. A Doctor Who yeah. type. I'm, oh my I'll goodness. be really interested. This is where I'm I'm really interested to see the art of the Book of Boba Fett come out, where maybe they kind of like talk about that process of the creation of their costumes. Yeah, like defend and, your um, choices. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, so I... Quickly, I think one of the big parts of the show, obviously, is the competition for Boba. And in the Pikes, we choose the Pikes as the main kind of villains in the show. They're in league with the mayor of Mos Espa, and really they just want this planet as a uh, a, a stopgap or um, a through lane for spice. Like this is a planet where they want spice to be able to flow through. And so 
what did you think of, you know, making them kind of, it's not the huts, it's, it's them that are the main villains here. I love that. I, because here's the thing, especially for people that loved Solo, a Star Wars story, I thought that was cool, bringing the Pikes into that whole situation of being a, a big problem um, and actually getting to bring them into main canon aside from Clone Wars, I thought was really cool. You're finally getting to see their helmets in live action um, and see how they're causing issues for people throughout the galaxy. Um I, I like, too, that they're initially kind of portrayed as not a big deal here in Book of Boba Fett, but clearly you see how far their reaches have gotten and that they've turned all of these people that Boba thinks have come to his side. Yeah, I, I like seeing the Pikes. The Pikes are great. Uh, it's, it's a terrific story element. It gives me hope that we'll see the Pikes again, because obviously they are a galactic syndicate. And now they have a reason to have a grudge against not just Fett, but Mando. So we can see them creep up uh, in in later stories and stuff like that. Um, and I, I thought they were interesting, you know, especially the, the way they were portrayed. Like it, it just gave more, uh, you know, more substance to the Pikes and really helps uh, flesh them out. And it's look. It's the same reason Mando, I, I like the antagonists in Mando, is it's not just the Empire didn't really die. It's, yeah, there are Imperial elements, but there are criminal elements. There are all of these different elements fighting for supremacy in their different little sectors of the galaxy. And Tatooine, you know, in the, the absence of Jabba the Hutt, it's Hut space. So the, the Pikes being there is interesting. Again, I, I think it would have been nice to speak to how... The Huts weren't quite sure how to play it. And then if Fett wins against the Pikes, then you have suddenly the Huts sending a message saying, like, thanks for ta- taking care of our problem. We'll have our planet back now. Like, that's a really mm-hmm. interesting, uh, you know, second season to sort of explore. Um, but yeah, I- I'm glad they brought the Pikes in. I-, I mean, is it really a surprise they brought the Pikes in, though? You know, considering Filoni has a hand in this and we know that he he will bend all that he can to uh, start folding in the, uh, the animated stuff into the live action. Mm-hmm. But they also feel like an actual threat. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. So that was good to have. I, I mean, I couldn't, I, there's, there's nothing around. I, you guys covered it. I think, you know, the connection with solo, the connected connection with the clone wars, uh, and you know, the fact that we know, um, just how powerful the crime syndicates are. Uh, it makes sense that in the vacuum of the Empire, especially here on the Outer Rim, that you're going to get these syndicates fighting over territory uh, to make credits and that Tatooine would be right in the middle of that, right? And so um, I, I I thought it was fantastic. And, and I thought it was really interesting because, you know, John, to your point, I do think that this could be where – you know, the huts get out of this. They don't want a war. They're going to see who wins. And then maybe their thought is next they come in and clean up whoever wins because they'll be weakened, you know, like which seems like a very hut thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, God, did those huts look good or what, by the way? I mean, just the best huts I've seen since I, I, I just Jabba. I just like the hut uh, uh, cooling himself off with a rodent. Yeah, <laughs> throwing it on the ground. That, just that like, was yeah. fun. 
That it was great. That's a Star Wars element. That's yes. a that's a little yep. Star Wars touch right there. That works mm-hmm. really well. So we talked uh, a little bit about Fennec, and so I I think just for for time, I don't know if there's anything I, to really add to her, but I do think we have a ton to talk about because we do get Mando's return. And there's a ton that happens with this character in the two and a half, the two episodes, basically, that he, like, gets to be kind of the focus of, you know. Um, and I guess one of the biggest things that we see is he's been excommunicated. <laughs> and now he's on a mission of redemption for himself in the eyes of the, you know, the Mandalorian church <laughs> to be able to become a Mandalorian again because now as of now he is not a Mandalorian at yes, least in the eyes of the armorer and um you know Pavisla he's he's a Mandalorian he's just not you know children of the watch one in good standing with the church no he, of, yeah, of he's, the pope. He's, he's not children of the watch and uh, it's like okay the coven that's what they called it yeah. the coven yeah yeah but 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 i mean like that that's you know, that's sort of like his whole thing is like is exploring what does it mean to be a Mandalorian because we met Bo-Katan. We met mm-hmm. Boba Fett. Being a Mandalorian is not this life that he thought it was. It's not as, for lack of a better term, it's not as exclusive as he even thought it was. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I think that uh, I think that these episodes were inevitable. I think that these episodes, unfortunately, do detract from who is purportedly the main character of the show. They could have done a slightly better job of working them together. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to try to rewrite anything, but I, I firmly believe they could have had Boba Fett make more of an appearance in those arcs. Um, even being of assistance to him while he's looking for a ship, you know, sort of thing. Um, but... Uh, these episodes were inevitable so that they didn't have to waste the time in season three of the Mandalorian, basically, because if we came back to season three of the Mandalorian with a new ship and Grogu back with them, oh, the questions would never have ended. So this way they got all of that out of the way. Well, and I get to like they had to somehow tie them, the two of them, Mando and Boba Fett together. And show how they're going to be partnering together in the future and, you know, continue the conversation of what it means to be Mandalorian. Um, but yes, definitely you and I are on the same page with feeling like they, they should have brought Boba into these episodes at some point. Because it's part of the book of Boba Fett, not let's take a break for Mando time. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, yeah. I disagree a little bit with both of you because I just don't feel that as much because to me, you know, it's called the book of Boba Fett. And if you're reading a book series, you know, and you enter and you switch chapter to the new perspective of a character who's coming in, it happens all the time. And so, you know, we already know these two know each other. And this is to set the stage of like where where Mando is why he might even come in and help Boba in the first place, you know, um, because who he is and his identity is a little bit in flux at this moment. Um, And really kind of, I think what's interesting is, is the only thing that Mando knows is that he kind of 
wants his own family, you know, yeah. and he right now he's been kicked out of the one he had been a part of. He he does want Grogu back. And like he's I, I think it's it's one of those things where it's a thematic element that could have been played out much stronger throughout the entire series of of this idea of family, you know, and like kind of finding one and finding yourself in that, too, um, by giving yourself to others. Yeah. It just it could have been stronger, but you know, I mean, I, I guess I just don't really have as much of a problem with this doing doing this. And part of that is just because the episode is so freaking good. The only uh, flag I'm going to throw there is, yes, I know it's called the Book of Boba Fett, and if a book this, book that, but this isn't a book. It, it, yes, Book of Boba Fett is a clever title, but this is still, you know, this is still filmed entertainment. Sure. So. Yeah, like if I'm reading a book, I'll have a chapter where I introduce mm-hmm. the new character sort of thing. But I think there's an obligation with film to entertainment to, you know, fold it all in uh, a little mm-hmm. bit neater than that. That's why you that's why you have to make so many changes when you adapt a book to the screen. Yeah, right. Sure. You have to streamline yeah. stuff. But I do want to um, just add that I thought that otherwise the episode was really great. I think that the showing of the strength of the dark saber was awesome um the fight between him and um paz vizla was awesome um and i thought it was both funny and a little sad which i know it was meant to be that way but when he's asked if he ever removed his helmet and that beat where he pauses and he's not sure if he wants to just lie to be able to stay a part of the group or tell the truth and possibly be kicked out was so good because in that moment you, you, like I said, it's, it's kind of funny because you're like, ah, she got you there. Um, but also you realize what's about to happen and that those are their rules. Where's he going to go from here? Uh, was really good. I love that you mentioned the whole thing with the dark saber, because I think that it's really fascinating. They finally kind of talked about the reason why not everybody uses a lightsaber even non-Jedi, because there is something particular about the way lightsabers are created and in, in that you have to be able to literally work with the force of the lightsaber. Mm-hmm. And if you're fighting against that, then you're not going to be able to use it well. It's just... And and what what I really loved, especially in the rewatch, is realizing that it's because Mando is so conflicted over himself. He has no center right now. He doesn't really know who he is. He's lost the thing that he become he himself became very attached to. And he's kind of adrift. And so, I mean, he has no ship. He's he barely has a job, you know, in the sense that like he's still bounty hunting, but he's like taking star cruisers everywhere. Like like his his life is is kind of in chaos and and that kind of comes out in the fact that he can't find peace with using the lightsaber um, because he's forcing it Mm -hmm. and that's not i don't mean the pun there um Hmm. but he's he it's it's just not working and and so i i thought that was really great um and Honestly, his return just reminded me how much I love this character. I think, you know, he's become a character to which I hold up there with the best of Star Wars characters now. Just he's there's so much depth to him. And so um, and then I 
what did you guys think about you know learning more Mandalorian history? I mean, we finally saw the Night of a Thousand Tears. We learn about why Bo-Katan fails because she doesn't win the saber. There is this prophecy that really seems to have some weight to it. Um, I mean, gosh, they deep dove like crazy, and I I, I loved it. Yeah, it was fantastic. It, it was great. I, I love seeing. I mean, the Tie Bomber is one of my favorite designs. So anything showing Tie Bombers bombing stuff is, you know, makes my heart sing. Um, but you know, in all honesty, it, it was great. I, I love the fact that they fed a little bit more. That they didn't turn it into, you know, a whole episode of history lesson, but just enough for you to say, okay, well, all right, now I have questions about other parts that had to do with that and other things, how that's going to tie into those sorts of, uh, of things. And it made me, I thought it was a, a great teaser basically for Mando season three. Cause I'm like, okay, they gotta explore this a little bit more. This is going to mm-hmm. tie into whatever his mission is in the next season. Right. And also I'm hoping for people that may not have seen clone wars, tell more about the Vizlas. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yep. And yes. why there's that, drive there for him to win it mm-hmm. back from mando um yeah i thought that was great um i loved getting to see the glimpses of the night of a thousand tears um and i think too i love the evolving conversation about whether being mandalorian is where you're from what your creed is who your family was what is it or is it all of these things and it just depends on your interpretation of it um so yeah i think they did a great job with tying that into the next season of mando yeah well i mean and there's a a parallel with what grogu goes through yeah because mando he's no longer of that creed like his heart belongs somewhere else and we find out grogu's does too and so it's like while everybody fixates on the choice that grogu has we see Mando have to make the same choice in that mm-hmm. moment that you're talking about, Christy, where it's like, is he going to lie? Is he going to not say that his helmet was taken off? He makes a decision in that moment that he makes his choice there. And he says, I know what this is going to cost me. I have to go find him. Mm-hmm. He's declaring right there. He loves Grogu more than his life that he knew before he came into it. And Grogu's going to make that same declaration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point, John. And I think, you know, um, we did a whole episode of <laughs> aggressive negotiations about Grogu's choice. Um, but I, I, I wanted to ask both of you if, do you feel like possibly that maybe we should have just left Grogu for season three of The Mandalorian? Because in all honesty, as much as I enjoy having him back, it felt a little quick because... We spent two seasons trying to have him find the Jedi, and within a few months, it's already undone, and it just felt like I would have liked to have the feeling that there had been more time that had passed, um, in the sense that maybe he gets the, you know, the gift for Grogu, Maybe he even goes to the temple, but all he meets is Ahsoka, and he's basically set on his way. But the idea that, like, Grogu makes this choice here, it just feels very 
just feels very quick to me. I disagree with that. Uh, and I will also say that it's not even that Grogu forces the choice or even Mando. Luke is the one that makes that puts it there. Luke could have held that back. And Luke could have said, well, let's give the kid a little more sure. time to figure it out. I think right. it speaks to Luke's character, uh, the nobility of it, that he says there's no reason to push this off. All it's going to do is make that choice more painful down the road. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I think it actually is good. Like th this is this is the healthiest thing possible for Luke to have Grogu make that choice right off the bat and say, mm -hmm. is this really what you want? You know, sure. and and that's the thing is, oh, we spent two seasons getting Grogu to that point. Yeah, but that wasn't Grogu didn't say take me there. Sure. The, the armorer said, you got to take him. Mm -hmm. And and even Mando was like, I do? What are you, what are you talking about? Right? Right. But, right. Uh, you know, so it was never Grogu's choice to begin with to wind up there. So I I consider it a pretty logical end point. And I think we were talking, like you said, we were talking about this on, on aggressive negotiations. I'm grateful for it because now I can compartmentalize and put Luke back there in the back of my brain and not even think about him in Mando season three. I'm done with him. If they bring him back, great. If they don't, I'm d I'm done with that arc. I'm paying attention to this corner of the galaxy now. Mm -hmm. I don't care what happens on the rest of it. And I'm not saying I disagree with anything you just said. I'm just saying I'm I wish that they had just pushed all of that to Mando season three. Mm -hmm. Not that that anything you said was wrong about Luke or the choice or any of that, because I think you're a thousand percent right. I just wish that it hadn't necessarily been done here at this moment. Um, so, but the payoff—the payoff, the that, payoff yeah. is that I get to see Grogu put a rancor to sleep and curl up next to him. This right. So, like that—that all works out in the end, so far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So, yeah. before I respond to Matt's question, I do want to say that my Empire Strikes Back loving heart was so happy with how they brought Grogu and Luke into this um, and showing him riding around on Luke's back, just like Yoda yeah. did um, showing him trying to use the force to lift things and the whole, you know, one frog versus a thousand frogs moment. Um, it, all of that was adorable and also really cool to see how the two of them work together and how Grogu is learning to use the force better. Um, I did feel like you said, Matt, that it was it seemed fast um, that it, it felt like not much time had passed that Grogu had been with Luke before we're then taking him away. Um, I do wonder, though, if maybe that was intentional to feel that way, because the phrase they kept using originally that the armorer said was taking him back to his kind but not really explaining who his kind was. And, you know, before we knew Luke was going to be a part of it, everyone really thought that it meant the same species as Yoda, literally his species being his kind. So I'm wondering if maybe that's where eventually this is going to go instead of his kind being Jedi. Yeah. I, I, or it could just be that, you know, in the end, when we're talking about this idea of families and found families, right? Grogu chooses the family of the Mandalorians and not the Jedi. Yeah. You know, um, and, you know, we've seen other people do that. Ahsoka is not a Jedi. 
Correct. She said that. Mm -hmm. She's still a force user. So, um, yeah. And, you know, what I love, too, um, uh, is the whole idea of, like, both Luke and Boba have had people tell them that they are so much like their fathers. And what's what I found really interesting is that Luke and Boba are trying to, to overcome the mistakes of their parents and be better and different people. And I thought that was really interesting that by bringing Luke in, you could actually mirror him a little bit with what Boba had been going through. And it works, I think, really well. Um, you know, so when people kind of complained about those two episodes specifically and how they fit, it's like, well, thematically, they, they actually fit pretty well because, you know, Luke himself is going through the same process of trying to figure out who he is and who he's going to be in light of the past, you know, and trying to not repeat the mistakes of the past. So, you know, I think that's great. Um, and I got to ask you before we leave this subject of Mando, the N1, or should I say that, should we call it the M1, the new mm-hmm. starship? Well, what did you guys think of giving him a Naboo starfighter with an upgrade? Yeah, it was perfect. This is his move away from being a hunter. And the the ship is... This is how you write a love letter to the fans, right? Because every everybody who's not a longtime fan will be like, oh, wait, yeah, okay, I think that's from the first movie or something like that. And then, you know, the three of us sit there, we're like, oh, yeah, yes, all right. It's an N1 and it's hypercharged. Oh, and look, they turned the droid socket into a Grogu seat. Yep. Cool. On board. Like, I, I, th- I think it's fantastic. Everything that they did with it was wonderful. And I'm glad that they spent a long time with it and and showed him, you know, taking off. And I'm glad that we got our our uh, our our tried and true, um, you know, rebel patrol coming up behind him and our 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 bearded pilot, you know, saying, yes, do you really want to go back and fill out paperwork for all of this or do you just want to just let this go? Like, I love that we have such a great recurring character who is cool. Mm-hmm. He's like, he's exactly the type of cop that you want sitting there where it's like, yeah, you know, th- this just isn't worth it, kid. Okay. Like, I, I get that you're new. I get that you want to impress people, but th- this just isn't. Let's just, let's just let it go. And it's like, you know, I, I loved everything about it. Yeah. I love that buddy cop joke. Um, yeah. And getting to see Mando in a completely different kind of ship was cool because it, we're used to him being the guy that's more in whatever he can get around in. You know, the Razor Crest was nothing amazing to look at, but it was to him. Um, he made it work even when it got, you know, beat to hell. <laughs> he he could make things fixed up again and make it work. But I like that, although I don't like Pelly as a character she's just kind of annoying i gotta throw that in there um for me but her convincing him to work together and build this up is very in mando's character she can tell that he's a guy that likes to work with his hands and make it into something newer and better than it was um and i like that they make grogu a little seat and still later than bring in r2 to do it together. Um, and I think my favorite moment probably of this whole season was actually at the end of the finale where he's tapping on the glass, telling Mando to blast off again. Yeah. Yep. Well, see, because daddy went from a, 
minivan to a hot rod sports car. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, he upgraded. Midlife and, Mando. Uh, exact Midlife <laughs> Mando. That's, oh my gosh, that's hysterical. It is totally true. It's totally true. Uh, I mean, I can't add any, it's, it was so much fun and I, I love it. I love the payoff of, you know, the N1. I love, you know, Mando making it his own. And I think, John, you rightly call out is that he's signaling that his life is going to change. He is not going to be a hunter anymore. He's a mm-hmm. dad. And he looks like he might be somebody who's going to be more of a freedom fighter, actually. And or, you know, uh, somebody who's going to be more interested in freeing Mandalore itself for f- once and for all. So, uh, and in that sense... Creating a much bigger family, finding a way to bring Mandalorians back together. So mm-hmm. uh, super cool. I, I can't wait for that. Um, so we get to the finale. And I think, you know, one of the biggest things here is that Bane is back in town. Yes. And uh, what did you guys think of bringing Cad Bane into the series and his, uh, you know, just interactions with Boba? And do you feel like he's dead or maybe might we see him resurrected sometime soon if he's dead i'm gonna be mad i just want to say i totally called it when my husband and i were watching this episode and you see the figure coming slowly in the distance oh yeah i was like it's cad bane and i was oh, yeah. super no, excited yeah no there were, there was no question the second you saw mm-hmm. that that silhouette it was like yeah that's definitely him nobody yeah. wears a um, hat like that in star wars I, other I, than him. True. i started i started giggling I, like yeah. I, my daughter was in the room, I started giggling. I was like, "Yep, all right." Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I mean, I wish we had more time with him. Yeah, honestly, mm-hmm. uh, that's one of those things where when he got killed? Question mark at the end of the series, I was like, "Oh, really?" Um, so I hope he comes back. I loved seeing him on screen. I thought that I thought that his physical realization was wonderful. And I thought that uh, even the way they got him to talk was magnificent. So, you know, I guess I have to buy a, a revamped Cad Bane action figure whenever they release the Black Series from this. So, mm-hmm. o- on board for it. Yeah, I I liked the look of him, although I think his um, overall skin tone in the Clone Wars was a little bit darker. But, I mean, I didn't have a huge issue with that. Um, I've always thought he was such a menacing, mysterious, awesome character, and seeing him in live action was super cool. Definitely, it felt very Clint Eastwood Western vibes with him and Cobb Vanth facing off, and then him and Boba reuniting. Um, And only certain people will know about this, but do you all remember at Celebration when we first saw Boba Fett? And Cad Bane face off in the concept art from Clone Wars. Yep, and the, and they showed that scene, and that too. was how Boba and got it was the dent. Awesome. Yep. And mm-hmm. so now bringing it full circle was even more cool. So yeah, I, yeah, that's the one thing that I feel like um, I love it. I mean, you guys have already nailed that, and so the only thing I'll I can add to that is to say I wish that there had been a flashback with Boba and Cad Bane so that that moment met even more because mm-hmm. you can tell by the dialogue that these characters have a history. I, I want them to go back and address that history and have flashbacks showing them working together for the Empire. 
yeah to give be fantastic just to give cad bane's comment you know is like you know where he's talking about the fact that uh, yeah Mm -hmm. fet in the past you got no idea who you're dealing with here yeah like he he was an ice cold killer like that would be really no disintegrations he's known for disintegrations right exactly um i think that it would be really neat to revisit that somehow uh and maybe there is a series they could have fett just in you know (laughs) uh, just fett have his helmet on the whole time Mm -hmm. and cad bane is cad bane isn't that a great uh, isn't that a great thing to do like i mean couldn't you basically maybe they can work that into the bad batch somehow yeah because you have that story there somewhere or couldn't you just do a special boba fett animated movie in the style of the clone wars that's you know an hour and a half long that's on disney plus yeah like all these ideas are so absolutely um yeah i mean i I loved it i mean he's john you know he's my favorite bounty hunter anyway um and you know i what i kind of love is that you know he is the direct antithesis to everything that boba has learned you know and that's kind of their face off is more than just it's it's a thematic face off against the guy who refuses the change with the guy who is doing the work to change and you know and i love too you know boba's not faster than him right but he learned some things from some people who taught him well that allow him to survive this battle that Bane doesn't have because nobody's taught him anything other than himself. And so, I, you know, it, it, I think it really, really works. Um, it just could have been made even better with some great flashbacks. And that's one of those things where it's like, I think the Disney Plus series need to learn that you don't have to just have everything hidden the whole time. If you really want to make a truly cohesive series with these type of characters, you could have had that flashback in earlier episodes so that it would build to this moment. And it yeah. would also help, you know, with a lot of other things. So, yeah. Um, question. Um, is a rampaging Rancor really the best choice to stop people? Or maybe, I don't know, just it, maybe we should have just had Mando pull out his fancy new starship or, no. you know, bring in Slave One. Uh, is It seems like either of those choices or both of those choices are better than loosing a rancor on the city of Mos Espa. I disagree, and there are two good reasons. Okay. One, we finally get to see the prophecy of riding a rancor come true. Well, I, this is true. I mean, I, I, I don't disagree. Bubba that was cool. mentions that, although I, I didn't love that we had someone as recognizable as Danny Trejo walking around in that episode. Um, <laughs> it was... It was still funny. And I like that they then brought that back. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to actually do it. I'm going to ride the Rancor. And he did. Um, And I love the tie in with other Japanese cinema of it, it feeling like this Godzilla kaiju moment with the Rancor climbing the tower. It, it made me go, ah, I see what you did there. And I like it. And so, yeah, I, I think it, it worked for me. Just reminded me of the uh, the Star Wars game where on the Connect 
you could uh, be the Rancor jumping around Mos Eisley, smashing stuff. Yeah, there um, you go. <laughs> and I always like doing that. So I, I was on board with it. I, it's fun. It's a fun choice. You know, it, it, not everything needs to be logical necessarily. And it's, uh, you know, Boba Fett riding a Rancor is, you know, Matt, you talked about playing with the toy box. That's eh, something I would have come up sure. with when I was eight yeah. years old is Boba Fett riding a Rancor, you know, mm-hmm. smashing stuff. Yeah. Okay. That works for me. You're it's also good. looking at a uh, biased Rancor fan here. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think for me it was, and I get that they had tried, you know, they had done the work, kind of set that up and, the, and I get all that. I just feel like it was indicative of the finale's lack of logic in a lot of places, you know, when the pikes are coming after them and they're all cloistered in, you know, the, the hollowed out shell that used to be the Oasis or whatever it's called. Hmm. Is it the Oasis? Anyway, the bar, uh, that, uh, Garza was the The sanctuary proprietor of the sanctuary. Thank you. I mean, there's no reason they would send a bunch of guys after them. They would have just bombed it and been done with it. I mean, there's just, there's a few things there where it's just like, there's some, you, like, I understand that Star Wars doesn't always have to be, like you said, John, it doesn't always have to be quite logical. Like, right, like in Solo, why are they using a train on this island or this, this planet to get things from one place? I don't know. Who cares? It's a Western, right? (laughs) Um, But there's, this just kind of broke a lot of like questions that if i'm making something i feel like you should be asking as okay okay why what what's the motivation here why are they doing this and the rancor just became indicative of that if you're really trying to save a bunch of people is it really smart to loose a rancor on or to come with enough firepower that easily destroys you know these droids um and so it was still very fun and I'm not taking anything away from that. But I also just think this is a place where the direction loses me because none of this action feels really tight. Um, so I that was I was just frustrated in that. I'm also frustrated that they killed Madame Garza. The fact that you me killed too. the coolest Twi'leks we've had since like Ayla Secura pissed me off big time. So shame on you. Shame on you. Uh, and Cobb Vanth, guys. He's going to survive. Yes. Did you guys feel like that was a little cheap or did you like that? I would have preferred him to show up at the end battle and just had that that Western sort of thing of like, I'm a little harder to kill than that. Yeah. Yeah. Or like a that shoulder, been, like he's he's got his arm yeah. in a sling or something. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he can't, he, you know, yeah, I'm not as good as I, I usually am. I'm shooting with my left hand. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. I, I think that would have been a better ending uh, rather than having a stinger of like, oh, yeah, he's not dead. It's like, well, that that felt a little forced as opposed right. to it, it just yeah. feels more natural and it feels more Western-like yep. to have the guys yep. like, you know, he's harder to kill than you thought. Like, that's that's mm-hmm. a cool ending sort of thing. Yeah, yeah no, I'm with you on that. Um, but I definitely like that we got more of Cobb Vanth and uh, yeah. I, Timothy Oliphant can play a Western character Anytime he's so good at it. I mean, if people haven't seen Justified, this is why they picked him for this character. I mean, he ain't as good as he once was, but he's as good once as he ever was. Amen. So, 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, 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 I think John, you're a hundred percent right. Like it, it, he just, it would have worked better for me. Um, I'm glad that he isn't dead because I do really like this character, mm-hmm. and I do like Mando having a an ally like that where they they truly see eye to eye on things. You know, like they and they truly seem to understand one another. Uh, they they have the same sense of honor. I think that's really cool. So, uh, uh, yeah, uh, I'm glad he's not dead. And hopefully Bane isn't dead, too. I'm with you guys on that, like, I think it would be cool to have him maybe be a Nemes again. Um, mm-hmm. So last thing I wanted to talk to you guys about well, was the fact that I'm sorry. I realized one big thing that we forgot to mention, speaking of um things dying or not dying the sarlacc pit question was finally answered and the sarlacc was mm-hmm. killed with a seismic charge mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that was very yes. cool didn't that make it's you phenomenal. happy yes and the the uh the yeah for the crate dragon to move in so that the opening of uh, mando season two right is uh <laughs> is cool so well and what i love is that um, everybody was talking about how the Book of Boba Fett had retconned the prequels or, or the special editions and 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 made the Sarlacc look like it originally did? You fools, writing those articles too quickly. No, it didn't. It kept everything that they did with the special editions. You just didn't wait long enough. So that's what you get for writing stupid articles too soon um, <laughs> and thinking that they're actually going to change something from the special editions just because you didn't like it. Um, they didn't. In fact, they made it really cool and yeah. it was amazing. Uh, so yeah, hundred percent great moment, Christy. So I'm, I'm definitely glad that you called that out. Uh, the last thing I did want to ask you guys uh, is that we have the theme by Gorenson here uh, for the music. And then uh, Joseph Shirley actually writes uh, the actual thematic or uh, the, the school, the orchestral work we'll get for the rest of the series. So what did you think of the theme for the book of Boba Fett? And did the music kind of continue on the legacy of the Mandalorian? And how'd you like it? I think it's a great theme and I like the music, you know, um, well, you know, it's inevitable, you know, compared to the Mandalorian. Right. And it's like, uh, you know, I don't know that that's really a, a fair or apt comparison. I think the music's mm-hmm. fine. I think the music worked and I I like the theme. So, you know, mm-hmm. successful enough. Yeah. I think the most recognizable thing obviously is the theme. Um, otherwise it really kind of flies under the radar for me for the general music for the show. But um, the theme for Boba Fett is really good. And I think mm-hmm. that it's a very, um, I'm not sure how I want to describe it. I don't know. Maybe, tribal almost sounding i think it makes me definitely think of his time with the tuscans now um Mm -hmm. and in the end actually made me laugh when i realized that they then added in people saying boba 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 (laughs) yeah i was like wait what they're just saying boba fett over and over again (laughs) my favorite thing is that this theme is very similar to a Scandinavian movie from like the eighties oh. and a mm-hmm. scene where people are singing and it's legitimately almost exactly the same. Hmm. Um, 
So that's very funny. But really what it sounds like is just a spaghetti western. I mean, they, mm. they just straight up stole this, stole this from Arconi, you know, like type of sound to it, which is great. And I think the music like Mandalorian holds up and it's even better in the second half of the season where they bring in some of those themes from the Mandalorian. The training scene with Grogu is beautiful. So, yeah, I I mean, they're they're knocking it out of the park with the, the you know the, the television soundtracks for these shows. So I love it. Um, well, I guess you know obviously it's a television series. We could talk so much more, but what would you rate the book of Boba Fett, John Mills? Uh, we're doing a scale of five as usual. Mm-hmm. Aye. Yeah. Um. Uh, you know, I'm reserving judgment uh, completely until I do that rewatch where I, I do the the pairing them up sort of thing. Uh, and I'm going to give it a three and a half out of five. Um, sort of a three overall, but there were certain elements that really sang, that really worked. Um, and I'm I'm fighting the urge to gener- to uh, to judge it less harshly because I love the Mandalorian stuff so much. I'm trying not to give it too much extra credit for that. Um, and I really got to come back to that finale and, and really digest it again. And, and Matt, I think you have fair comments about it um, as much as I love certain elements of it and well, everything like that. Yeah, it is the first. Uh, Christy had more <laughs> comments that I agreed with as usual, though. So, you know. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm at a three and a half out of five. So... I kind of struggled with it, whether or not I go um, a little bit higher or sit comfortably where I feel like this fits because of the things that I didn't love about it. And I, I'm going to go a little bit on the harsher side with it and say I'm also at a three and a half. It just didn't quite make it to four for me um, because I do think that the Vespa bikes could have been taken out and exchanged for something more suitable. Um, I think that there were some inconsistencies that I feel like people that are so steeped in star Wars should have known to change. Um, and overall though, I still really enjoyed it and there were some incredible things that came up and especially obviously with the Mandalorian returning that, I was immediately calling and texting friends about. So I do want to give it credit for that at least. But overall, yeah, I feel like it's definitely better than average and really enjoyed it. I just wish there were a couple things different that were kind of bigger things. In this yeah. Um, I am right there with you guys, actually. Even with the rewatch, I, I think this is a three and a half, and and I think a a really big part of that is honestly that the finale is a little bit messier than it needed to be, and a little less coherent in the sense that it could have been better by well, I think some of the things that we mentioned by adding some connections, especially like with Cad Bane and his relationship with Boba and all those things. So. But I still, especially with the rewatch, it did get better in the way that Yancey had mentioned to watch it. And I thought it really did play better thematically. And I enjoyed it much more in that rewatch that way. So, and there are just some absolutely 
fantastic episodes of the season, like the second episode um, and the Bryce Dallas Howard episode, as well as the Dave Filoni episode. I, those are three incredible episodes of Star Wars and just great Star Wars stories, you know, uh, regardless of how they fit into the rest of this. So, yeah, I mean, three and a half out of five, and that's that's above average, you know, so um, that that's great. And I think I'm just excited now for Kenobi and, you know, uh, season three of The Mandalorian, as well as Andor. Bring it on. So, but John, if people wanted to catch up with you and see where they could find you, where would that be on the interwebs? Uh, just look for Kessel Junkie and go over to thenerdparty.com and look up two shows I'm on over there, which is uh, House Lights is one of them, uh, where we look at the work of directors. And you can also find me on Aggressive Negotiations, where I uh, co-host with you, Matt, uh, where we talk about Star Wars. And Christy. Where can people find you? You can find me, of course, uh, in Twitter and Instagram at Bespin Bell and also in the Babel Conference on Facebook. And when I'm not here in the 602 Club, I do a show called Sabres and Spells with my friends Amanda and Teresa, where we talk about geeky stuff we don't usually get to cover. So I hope that you'll check that out on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network, Skynet, and on our social pages at Sabres and Spells. And excited to have Amanda back uh, in the next couple weeks, so you'll want to check that out. Uh, But you can also find me all over social media under MattRushing02, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero, all those type of places here on the network, of course, with the 602 Club feed where John and I also do Snyder Cuts as well as Assembling Avengers, the bonus shows you can find, doing The Orb, Literary Treks, and Warp 5, The Orb's about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Literary Treks about the books and the comics of Star Trek. And then Warp 5 is about Star Trek Enterprise. And when I'm not on aggressive negotiations over there on the Nerd Party Network, you can also find me with a closed show. It's a finished show did with Drea Kaufman called Owl Post, where we talked about every single chapter of the Harry Potter series, one chapter at a time. But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? Thank you.